We are live. All right. So welcome, everyone, uh, to this edition of the Industrial Real Estate Podcast. I am filling in for Chad Griffiths today. Uh, my name is Rafael Collazo. I'm a, I'm a buddy of his and also the host of the Commercial Real Estate Academy Podcast. Uh, really honored to be here uh, to sp speak with Whitney, uh, who is uh, just going to give us a wealth of knowledge pertaining to the self-storage industry. Uh, it's one industry that, you know, our brokerage has, has had experience with, and it's one that I think that is going to be, you know, a big, you know, an asset property type, I should say, that that is going to be worthwhile looking into going forward as well. So Whitney, welcome to the the podcast. And, you know, we, what we wanted to do is maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, what got you into the space? Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am... My name is Whitney Hutton. I am the director of investor education here at PassiveInvesting.com. Um, we're a private equity group that does multifamily self-storage, car washes, hotels, and also real estate debt. Um, my course of how I got into the space, I am not the type of person that went to school for any sort of finance degree, real estate degree, or anything like that. I actually fell into real estate in 2002 completely by accident. I was an accidental landlord. I purchased a house with a significant other about a month later, that relationship fell apart. And here I had a house, all the bills in my name. And uh, I mean, you know, honestly, I was pretty kind of scared of what might happen. I stuffed a full of roommates and uh, had to complete a rehab on the house. You know, keep in mind, YouTube was not around back then. And so I, I you know, checked out the Home Depot 123 book, did a lot of things that I don't like about rehabbing and things I probably should not have done like plumbing, but Found out I hate drywalling, uh, but anyways, got rehabbed this house, sold it, you know, for a fifty-two thousand dollar profit about eleven months later, and then at that point in time, I clicked that I hadn't been paying anything, none of the bills, none of the utilities on this property. If anything, I've been putting money in my pocket. I'm like, how many more of these deals could I possibly do? This is amazing. Um, did several more deals uh, on my own, and then also with my husband, and then we decided that wait, we if we want to unlock our golden handcuffs and actually create financial freedom and cash flow with these properties, we needed to hold on to them. So we scaled a single family rental portfolio. And then we decided that we wanted to be able to utilize that income and step away from our job, which meant we needed to scale quicker, go further, faster. That's when we transitioned into commercial real estate, um, both actively and passively. We started off with multifamily and then eventually transitioned into passive real estate investments in self-storage and car washes. Um, you know, uh, I've also worked in the private equity space for several years, and that also um, has invested in self-storage deals. So happy to talk about any or all of it. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. And, and you kind of alluded to your initial uh, journey within the investing space. I feel like a lot of people, especially when they first start out, start in the in the, the residential side. My first deal uh, was in a fourplex, actually, a house hacked, a fourplex with my girlfriend, now fiance. And that's just kind of what got you know us into the space as well. And it's it's obviously for a variety of reasons it's it's accessible. You can start off you know early on and then kind of scale from there. But what as as the name name suggests the the podcast it is the industrial real estate podcast and and self storage is one of those you know property types that kind of falls in line with that type of of asset. So I guess one of my questions is related to what were some of the early struggles when you decided that maybe the self-storage uh, space was something you wanted to pursue. You mentioned something related to first getting into it passively, but if you can mention also maybe your, your Fourier into maybe the, 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 the active side and how, and what some of the struggles you faced on that front. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, when we first got into it passively, we were looking at how could we diversify our portfolio um, within real estate, right? You know, you know, before that we'd been, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual fund investors, and, you know, everybody says diversify, diversify, diversify. And so we were really um, looking at to how can we take advantage in uncorrelated spaces within real estate, you know, to, to build a portfolio that could kind of bottom move with the market, right? Like if multifamily is up, self-storage is flat, fantastic, you know, a pandemic comes along, multifamily takes some hiccups, you know, maybe on economic occupancy, but now self-storage is up for a variety of reasons with people transitioning, condensing households. Uh, you know, or just needing a place to put all their extra stuff um, because they're downsizing, you know, we wanted to be able to take advantage of those different, you know, kind of factors um, with tenant behavior. Now, we started off passively. And so, um, you know, and, you know, invested in over a thousand deals passively. And really, for me, I'm all about how can I get paid for my education? <laughs> so um, that passive deal wasn't just all about diversification, but it was about like, how can I like actually understand how the operator source the property, why are they in the markets they are, why are they, you know, choosing the business plan that they're putting on the deal, how are they operating the deal, uh, why is this appealing to um, not only investors but also to the tenants so I could really learn about the industry. And from there, I continued to invest passively in a few more assets and then moving into the commercial space, that private equity space, my role was director of operations and investor relations. And so while I wasn't actually going out and sourcing the deal, I had to actually partner with the operator, fully understand the deal and be able to talk to investors about it as far as like, why is self-storage a good asset class to complement your portfolio? How does, you know, what are the, you know, capital preservation, cash flow appreciation and tax benefits associated with the deal? How does it help align uh, uh, you know, with an investor's perceived goals that they need in their portfolio. And then also just talk about, you know, the deal specific itself. Why are we buying? Where are we buying? Why are we buying the type of assets we're buying? Why are we structuring the deal either through single asset entities or through a fund? And so, um, or even like in, in this case now, we're also, we're putting them in smaller portfolios to take advantage of the interest rate environment. So there's a, a few different things, you know, there to, that I think investors need to consider. And most investors, they just go, oh, I want self-storage in my portfolio. I heard it was recession resilient. Um, it's the darling child right now because we're going through market consolidation um, still. You know, you know, you're seeing all these properties being picked up from, you know, smaller mom and pop operators. You know, branding's being put on top of them. We're seeing large exits to REITs like we saw last year. Um, so, uh, you know, just really learning to you know, kind of like take all those puzzle pieces and help put it together for an investor. Absolutely. Yeah. And you kind of alluded to some of the reasons why a lot of people are attracted to the space to begin with. And, you know, mm -hmm. if, if you could highlight maybe the top three reasons why, you know, you think that self-storage is a property type that you believe in. And, and I guess if you could elaborate on some of those, I think that'd be helpful for the audience as well. Yeah, the, and you know, I I'll go over several reasons. Not you you can keep track one, two, three. Mm -hmm. um, so for one, you know, there is market consolidation still happening in the space. I mean, you know, 2010, 11, 12, you know, we're starting to see, uh, you know, there wasn't third party management or quality third party management to be able to, and so therefore, like the REITs, the insurance companies, and the banks weren't interested in picking up these properties. So it was ripe for. Um, you know, uh, retail operators to start snatching these up and putting them together in a portfolio, rebranding them, um, creating operational efficiencies. 
and then um, potentially seeing large exits of a portfolio to these you know, larger buyers. Now we have more third-party management. Okay, that problem is being solved, but still there's tons of consolidation still left to happen. I mean, you know, I think the last estimate I saw, we're probably not quite halfway through this consolidation effort. So we're light years behind the multifamily space. So there's still a ripe opportunity there. Um, it's also a very recession resilient asset class. We saw it perform very well in 2008, 2009. We also saw it perform very well through the pandemic, um, partly because of tenant behavior. Um, you can you know, hold rents or even do like a 10% or 15% increase. And for most people, that's like five, 10, 15 bucks. They're not gonna go buy it, go rent a U-Haul, pack up their stuff and move to another facility. They're also not going to come in and get rid of all their belongings, right? There's a reason why they have that, that particular unit. Now, so that's a great opportunity um, to capture small incremental increases. And when you do that, you add all that income to the net operating or increase the net operating income, add it to the bottom line. In commercial real estate, it's very NOI driven. That's what drives the value on the property. There's not, it's also right for operational expenditures, you know, oper, um, optimizing there, right? You're buying a garage or metal walls, concrete floor. Um, now, for somebody who's looking for huge tax benefits or year one tax write-offs, that might be a challenge, you know, depending on what's happening on the business plan on the property. Is there an expansion happening or additional building? But, you know, um, you know, if you're just buying, you know, say 500 units and taking that over and not putting any real cap capital expenditure in there, you're getting modest tax um, tax. Um, benefits, which is fantastic, but you're also um, you're not uh, taking on large operational expenditures on the project and large, large CapEx expenses. Uh, and, and it's, like I said, you know, for somebody who doesn't like tenants, toilets and trash, <laughs> this could be, um, or all those things that, you know, um, interpersonal relationships that come in with, um, you know, managing tenants on a property uh, and, you know, ACs going out at like six, in the, you know, four in the morning or whatever. I mean, gosh, I mean, right now we're recording this. We're in the middle of a heat wave across the United States. You know, this can be a very unique asset class. And I'll add one last point. Um, you know, we can also adjust with the inflationary market right now. You can adjust the rents on, you know, generally for most properties on a 30-day basis. So, as we continue to see cost increases across the board, you know, on various consumer goods, we can continue to adjust rents on, you know, um, self storage properties. Absolutely, yeah, and and you know, you, you kind of alluded to it early on is 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 the history of self storage and how it really evolved over time. From my understanding, it's a relatively new concept. It's within the last fifty or sixty years in the seventies, coming into the eighties, people started repurposing these industrial properties to be able to house, you know, these these you know, people's storage and just, you know, with increased demand for product, people started storing more and demanding more storage. And that eventually led to, you know, the growth of the self-storage industry, which somewhat led to, you know, the mom and pop aspect that you had described. And with consolidation comes larger interest from larger, you know, entities that want to buy these assets. And a lot of those individuals in particular, if you can package them in a way that is a lot more attractive, you know, they're willing to pay a premium for those types of products. And obviously that's, you know, what you guys have been capitalizing on. And a lot of times when I hear people talk about the self-storage business, a lot of them allude to the fact that the turnover is a lot easier than in, in a retail setting, an office setting, you know, even multifamily setting where it's like, you know, if someone doesn't pay or, or someone moves out, it's literally just get a leaf blower, you know, blow it out, do what you need to do. And then you can essentially turn over the space. Whereas if you're talking about an office tenant who signed a five or 10 year lease, 
there's a significant amount of tenant improvement allowance that needs to be allocated to mm -hmm. turn over that space. And then obviously mm -hmm. the, the laws that you had described, I know with multifamily, we're starting to see a shift from, and depending on the state you're in here in Kentucky, we're pretty tenant uh, landlord friendly, but there's other states around the country that are not so. And so that obviously drives, you know, how the interaction between the tenant and the landlord uh, occurs. And I would imagine self-storage is one of those property types that, you know, the dynamic is a lot different because you're not dealing with someone's physical residence as opposed to, you know, the storage side. Right. Yeah. They're not physically, hopefully, not physically yeah. on the property. <laughs> you never know, right? No. Yeah, no. I, I got some funny stories that mm -hmm. we don't have to share them here. Um, but my mm -hmm. uncle and aunt owned a self storage facility where they live and um, they inherited it actually. And it, uh, I've heard some, they also inherited a liquor store and a gas station. And long story short, there has been some hysterical stuff that have come out of there. <laughs> Well, even with, with some of these mom and pop self storage facilities, like you had mentioned, I mean, we've looked at different opportunities for clients of ours in the past. And, you know, the, 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 the idea the, the the payment collection, like we're just mm -hmm. like putting an envelope under the door like mm -hmm. that. We've, we've looked at, at, at property properties and we're just like, we can't account for the, the, the income and what the expenses are because the documentation is terrible. And, you know, it, it's like handshake agreements with a lot of people when it comes to some of these properties. And so it kind of alludes to the fact of your, your mom and pop aspect. Although some are much more organized, especially when you start scaling to those sizes, I'm sure a lot more organized, but you know, that, that is something that is still, is still happening in, in the market today. So. Yeah. I think one of the, um, aside from, you know, the, the raising the, the rents on the property, one of the, um, more attractive operational expenditures that you could probably achieve is a lot of these properties, mom and pop, they they have full time, one full time, maybe two full time people on them. And then you're paying somebody 40, 50, 60,000 dollars a year, maybe inclusive of benefits to maybe lease one or two units a day. A lot of that can be like, you know, um, with the technology these days um, can be done all online, consolidated at like a, you know, regional call center, something like that. Um, now, and, you know, there's a balance to strike. Like you still need somebody visiting the properties, you know, making sure the maintenance is taken care of, CapEx is being taken care of. But now you can, you know, create greater efficiencies on multiple properties within one area. So we're really looking to do that with at least with the portfolio that we're picking up. Absolutely. That's great advice. So so one of the things that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are curious about is maybe they're interested in, in pursuing self-storage opportunities. What are some of the things that you guys look for? Uh, when you're looking at these types of properties, if, I know you alluded to a few earlier, but if you could el elaborate a little bit on that, I think that'd be helpful. Yeah, definitely. And so we have two managing partners, Chris Bennett and John Allen, that run, you know, specifically the self-storage side of the business. And so, you know, they are the gurus when it comes to like all of our acquisition criteria and underwriting. Um, if I can like try to step in their shoes for a moment, you know, really one of the things um, it's we need to be in a high traffic location, right? You know, it's much like multifamily. You have to have people, location, location, location. And also it has to, it has to be um, easy for people to access. We also look for the, uh, you know, look at the competition around the area, you know, making sure that we don't have like inter-competition and intra-competition within ourselves. So we make sure that we're spaced out at least two or three miles in, you know, in a radius from any other um, property. Uh, we're also looking for, you know, um, you know, the household income to be high. Like if, you know, if the household income could not afford to pay extra for self-storage, not a good place to be. Uh, so um, one of the things I know, uh, you know, you know, Chris and John, I've heard them multiple times, like they'll be just, you know, kind of driving for dollars and they'll just go sit on a property that they're looking at, you know, putting an offer on and they'll sit there and count cars. 
you know, they're really looking for, you know, what kind of businesses are in the area, what kind of competitions in the area, what kind of traffic count is going by. You know, they do, they verify all those numbers themselves. We also get that from professional research. Uh, so, and we're also looking for the, you know, is the, that market expanding or contracting or plateaued? Um, that's, you know, we always try to strive to be in the path of progress with all of our properties. Um, we're, we're looking to, you know, kind of stack all those investment cards in our favor, not so much being the tertiary market where will it grow, will it not grow? We don't know. Um, we're really, you know, you know, wanting to make sure that we're, you know, stacking all those cards as much as we can in our favor. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. And population really drives demand for, for storage mm -hmm. as well. So you had, you had alluded to it as like population growth is probably one of the key factors that, you know, you guys look for. And it, it, it's similar I'm in, in the multifamily space. Yeah. I mean, it, it's similar yeah. in all, all type of economic environments that require, you know, retail. That's something we look at a lot in the retail side is, is what is the economic, you know, what is the, the, the population growth in this area? You know, obviously demographics and, you know, how much are people making? I mean, that's the mm -hmm. type of analysis that you guys do, I'm sure. And, you know, it's it's why you've been able to, you know, acquire these properties that are ultimately going to be able to achieve the top returns for your investors. Now, one thing that I wanted to ask is related to, you know, let's say you find an opportunity, it kind of checks some of the boxes as it pertains to what you guys are looking for in an investment. And you decide to put this property under contract. You've, you've come to terms with, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate seller. And now you have to go through the process of doing performing due diligence on these opportunities can you kind of highlight on some of the you know things that you guys look out for as you go through the process yeah we're looking to confirm all the numbers that that the seller has provided us you know uh in this space you know much like a multifamily space it's the net operating income so you know what are all what's the income coming in on the property can we verify that for the last trailing 12 months um longer if we can get a hold of the financials but most like more than likely, it's just the last trailing 12. We're looking to verify the expenses. Um, you know, one of our biggest expenses is going to be taxes. We're looking to verify not only the current taxes being paid, but any, um, you know, projected tax adjust adjustments that are going to be happening in the next one to five years, you know, during a whole time. Um, incorporate those in. Uh, we're looking to take a look at the, you know, the operational expenditures on the property, you know, especially like in the, um, you know, full-time employee category. Um, and contracts category, renegotiate any contracts we can. Also, if we can reduce the um, the overhead of the property in any sort of way, and, and you know, uh, kind of roll that those operational efficiencies up to our call center or to our regional employees, we'll do that as well. Um, but you know, we're, we take a very conservative pro approach when it comes to like um, increasing income, as well as you know, conservative approach to estimating the vacancy on the property. You don't want to be 100% occupied on self storage. You definitely want to have like a few units open for the person that's going to walk in the front door and is like, I need a unit today and I don't care how much it costs. Right. Um, that's a that's a great position to be in. Um, if you're 100 percent occupied, it probably indicates that you're not charging enough. Um, you know, you know, self-storage is also tends to be a little bit seasonal in a lot of locations as well. But really, so we're looking we're taking great care to verify all everything that's coming in from the seller and, um, you know, you know, if it's a newer build, you know, is there any concessions that need to be burned off in the next few years? What does that look like? And then verify all of our potential expenses going forward so we can make a very conservative projection. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you, you alluded to concessions. Is that related to, you know, offering people sign on bonuses if they sign a yearly? For 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, run by the end of the month, you get your first month free, right? You know, those type of things. Um, mm -hmm. Because 
you know, that that you have to burn off over time in order to just realize, be able to realize that income. Absolutely. No, no, that's those are those are some great points for sure. So in, in situations and this is something that I'm, I'm kind of curious about it, it, when if you if you look at a property and maybe, you know, you have the, the, the property, but you also have some land on the side that has potential as far as value add is concerned by developing, you know, additional storage units if the 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 the, the, the demand allows for it in, in, in that particular area. I guess what what are some of the thought processes and maybe check checklist items that you guys look forward to see whether or not a it's it's worthwhile to pursue and then b you know you know do do you already have a team in place to kind of execute on that business plan if you decide that's where you guys want to go for the expansion piece I mean it's always intriguing to buy the land whether you actually did the expansion or not because that gives that leaves skin on the bone for the next buyer. Right. Um, you know, there's always an opportunity there um, to be able to hand that off to the next buyer and be like, hey, we didn't do everything. And you can still like be able to, you know, to add additional income to the property. And so it's, uh, you know, we do like properties like that. And, you know, you know, for us, it's the underlying fundamentals of what is currently already on the property that needs to be able to cash flow from day one. Um, you know, we're, we're not developers of self-storage. Mm-hmm. We like deals that are already working and already performing that have development opportunities. And so, you know, being able to put put up another 50 or 100 units is a fantastic opportunity. But um, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But we'll certainly hold on to the land and, you know, pass that on as a future benefit to another buyer. As far as do we have construction, one of our managing partners, that's his whole background is in construction. And so um, he's definitely very well versed and works very closely with our managing partners in the self-storage space to be able to bring in the right people to manage that construction. So it's something that we have done on several of our properties. Um, and so uh, it's we do we have an in-house team ready to go? No, we generally contract that out. Yeah. And that and that's completely fine. I would say you know because because with with the construction industry comes a variety of different other things that that you have to factor in, especially if you have in house staff. I know I have several friends of mine whose families own construction companies, and the overhead of maintaining you know all the staff that you need to is is definitely something to consider. And if your if your focus area is you know identifying and putting these deals together, it may not even behoove you to to look into the construction side, as they say, you know specialization is you know the key to success in, in industry so yeah i would say our you know our specialization is being able to acquire the property and manage the asset yeah. and so um and and hire the right people to get the work done it's kind of more of a who not how yeah that's by the way that's a phenomenal book i read it last <laughs> year and game-changing book if you guys haven't read it yet so mm-hmm. so so in, so obviously you handle you know a lot of the investor relations side so you've interacted you interact with you know, people who are interested in potentially investing in these types of opportunities, I guess, what, as far as recommendations are concerned, let's say that, you know, there's someone out there that's wanting to look into these different opportunities, yet they just don't know, you know, how to properly vet a sponsor. What are some of the things that you typically recommend people do to make sure that they're, you know, checking the right boxes before they start moving forward in any type of opportunity? Yeah. And like, just a, you know, point of correction, we have an investor relations team. Um, Andrew Davis is our director mm-hmm. of investor relations. I work very closely with him as the director of investor education. And so we, we, we blur a lot of lines between the mm-hmm. two of us, but um, you know, just make, want to make sure that we're giving sure, no, of course, of course. There, mm-hmm. um, to him and his team. But as far as, you know, you know, a lot of the same questions that you would ask to vet a multifamily deal still apply, right? You still want to make sure that you're with an operator that you know, love and trust. 
somebody that um, you knew, you're, you've been on the, you've talked to them on the phone, you understand who they are, what is their investment philosophy, what is their background. Um, even more specifically, you want to talk to them about like how many self storage deals have you done? You know, how many have gone full cycle? What are the exits look like? What does the performance look like? You want to understand the team and how is it put together? Um, there are a lot of people that um, are operators that are trying to do everything all at once. You know, maybe there's one, two, three managing partners and they're trying to invest in all the assets themselves. And we have not structured our company that way. Um, we brought, you know, Dan, Danny and Brandon, our three managing partners, our founders, you know, they look for the experts in that space and to bring them into their world. And so that's you know, how we have Chris and John, the managing partners of the space. They handle self storage. There's no overlap between them and multifamily. And so that's really a true equity company whenever you're, you're getting that level of expertise brought in. Um, so make, maybe digging into like how is the internal structure of the company, um, you know, uh, put together and then how are they scaling that? You know, who's managing the properties? You want to make sure that there's a high quality management team that is um, overseeing day to day operations. And then who's doing the asset management on the properties? You know, who's the who is the person at the company level, you know, the private equity group level that is overseeing the, the day to day operator? And so those are just a few, you know, just a few questions. We actually have a um, webinar that we do weekly. It's called Self Storage Investor Nation for people who just want to learn more about this space. Um, you know, certainly I think it's more geared towards active investors, but certainly for those passive investors that are just like, oh, I'm not quite sure. Like, how does this all put together? That's a great opportunity for them. Oh, absolutely. And the education piece, like you said, is is, is the starting point for any journey. Uh, I'm sure before you got into the investing space, it was partly well, in your case, you just kind of got into it and learned as you went, but but that's part of it as well. It's the education piece as you continue to learn and expand your knowledge, you feel more comfortable with pursuing these types of opportunities. So I appreciate well, I think, that you shared. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, the question was how how does one vet the operator? But you know, mm -hmm. really there's two questions before that is what are your goals? What are your investing goals as a limited partner, as the passive investor? What are your goals? What do you need from your portfolio? Do you need capital preservation? Do you need cash flow? Do you need equity? How, what, what kind of business plan risk are you willing to take on to get the equity? Um, what kind of tax benefits do you need? I've had people come to me that are like, I need 90% year one deductions and I want to be in self-storage. I'm like, you, and they would say no risk. And I'm like, that deal does not exist. <laughs> um, so being realistic on how how the that particular asset class can help you achieve some or all of those goals. And then tangent, we've already touched on that. What is your business plan risk? What kind of risk are you willing to take um, in order to achieve those goals? And making once you fully understand that yourself as a passive investor, now you can start filtering out all the different operators and their business strategies, um, maybe even markets and definitely the deals based on that. Definitely. Great insights, really. I like that. I appreciate you sharing that. So one of the things that, you know, you kind of alluded to earlier was related to, you know, the obviously the education piece, but also maybe if you could share some of the best resources out there that you recommend. And obviously, you know, I would highly recommend you guys to follow, you know, what they're doing on a regular basis as well. But if you got, if you would share some additional insights, uh, that would be also great. Yeah, as far as resources, I really like, um, you know, obviously, you know, the partial our self storage investor nation. I mean, really, 
Um, Chris, John, you know, our three managing partners, Dan, Danny, and Brandon, they really pour their hearts into just, you know, anything, any question that, you know, uh, an investor or an active investor is posed. Um, they really just try to put together, you know, package that information up really well um, on a weekly basis. We also have, um, I think next year we're only going to do one large self-storage investor nation conference, but we've done a couple um, virtual conferences throughout the year. That's an amazing wealth of knowledge. Not only do you get to hear from PassiveInvesting.com team, you also get to hear from other leaders in the industry. So that's amazing as well. Um, then just being part of the market reports. I really love CBRE. They have like, a, you know, a very um, kind of tight, like self-storage um, place. For me, I'm pretty partial. That's where I go. That's awesome. No, and, and as far as books, do you have any any books that you'd like to recommend? I know that, you know, the audiences, they're all voracious readers. So I'm sure that they <laughs> value some some insights on that front. I will tell you my favorite book that I've been reading lately. It's not self-storage specific, but it's, um, sorry, it's right here. Mm -hmm. Nice. Behind the camera. Yeah. Oh, sure. Psychology of Money. This is oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Morgan Haswell. That's like one of my favorite books right now. Cause it just, um, you know, even having been, you know, in the investing space since 2002, I I've picked up this book and you're just like, Oh wow. Like I've never, you don't realize how much of investing is behavior driven. And we like to all think that we are making very objective decisions based on numbers and market reports and offering memorandums that are coming out. And really at the end of the day to have somebody just shine a mirror right back at you and be like, you, you're not as objective as you think you are. It really just kind of opens your, your eyes. You're just like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> These are the behaviors. And some of those behaviors you didn't, you you inherited from your family so it's really i don't know i i'm kind of going down this rabbit hole lately i was just trying to figure out you know i'm in my 40s i'm trying to figure out like you know what did i actually pick up from my parents <laughs> and my oh, family oh. growing up <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely and and these types of books the mind expansion books are just you know phenomenally insightful and you know i i obviously read books on real estate but i feel like the most insightful books i've ever read we're not real estate related. They're they're on on completely unrelated, primarily mindset driven uh, books, and that shifted and, and created a you know a, a a shift in the way that I approach my day to day. Uh, mm -hmm. One being the the who not how I always recommend to people that that kind of shifted me away from doing tasks that that I probably shouldn't be doing and focusing really on the things that are my highest and best use. And that you know that's another good book as well. So. Absolutely. And to drop one more book um, on people, I mean, this is one that I've heard many times in the space. And that's the one thing that, you know, for anybody that's struggling, you know, especially I know a lot of investors that I speak with, they're like, I like multifamily. I like cart washes. I like self storage. Which one first? And I'm like, that is the question. Which one first? And that book is, it's not just about like investing, but like just how can you prioritize your goals and know that eventually you can check off the entire list. And if, if you focus, it really won't take that long. Great advice. Really, really. All right. So I, I wanted to give us some time to be able to answer any of your guys' questions. If you guys are watching this live, so we'll go ahead and uh, open it up to Q and a, so feel free to uh, type away. Let's see. Uh, I think we may have a question. All right. So warehouse investor. Hey, man. Hey, how's it going? They say, can older warehouse property be converted into self-storage? Yeah, I would, I would say so. I mean, this is not my area of expertise. My area of expertise is dealing with the investor, but from, 
I have seen uh, old industrial units be converted. I've seen old warehouses, you know, in a, like a central business district area, CBD area of a, of, of a, a metro, um, metropolitan service area. I've seen old Kmarts be converted to self-storage. And even like in those shopping center Kmarts, I mean, that's not something what we specialize in. We, we like our units to be, you know, you know, standalone because you, now you've got tenant contracts that you're dealing with a landlord. We like owning the, the actual property, but you know, I've seen those Kmarts be very successful because now you can put security cameras and, and they're all automated. It's amazing. Yeah, you can pretty much turn any area into self-storage, I feel like, um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So, you know, kind of like rewind and go back and like listen to those metrics that Raphael and I kind of dropped earlier. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that, that, like you said, you got to still look at the viability of the site itself. But but that's actually, from my understanding, how self-storage started. It was, you know, converting these these industrial uses into storage facilities. I mean, it was something that evolved uh, over time. So it definitely seems like it could be a viable option. So warehouse investor asked again. So also, can you get an increase in rent by having heated storage or are customers not willing to pay more for that? So temperature control. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, um, temperature controlled, if you're in the South, humidity controlled, um, you know, environments. I, um, you know, dealt with, you know, you know, settling my mom's estate years ago. Uh, there was a self-storage unit involved and she did not want to pay extra. And a lot of the stuff in there melted because it was not a temperature controlled environment. So we yeah. lost a lot of family heirlooms that way. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, but well, I mean... Yeah. That is in point. Like, you know, oh, yeah. people can and should pay for that. So, um, oh, yeah. That falls to the tenant not knowing what they need. Yeah. And I will say this here in, in Kentucky, you know, we have a lot of lakes around. And so, boat storage is very popular. And a lot, you mm -hmm. could choose to get the, you know, covered boat storage, non covered boat storage. There's winterized, they winterize your boats and you mm -hmm. could put it in a temperature controlled environment. It's just dependent on what you want. And depending on what it is, there's like a tier. Like, they have different tiers of, of what Absolutely. it costs to, you know, store these types of, of, of things. So, yeah, a friend of mine right. actually has a boat and trailer storage in Missoula, Montana. And oh, nice. Um, it, it always blows my mind. He like offers, um, there's a certain part of the lot that he actually like plows snow and people will pay extra to that. And I'm like, who's getting their boat and RV out in the wintertime? <laughs> anyways, people pay extra for it. So, yeah, well, there's some, there's someone out there that wants something, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So Ron, hey Ron, how's it going? He said, "What type what type of exits do you see for owning self-storage in declining population towns?" Ooh, um that's tough. I mean, I think that goes back to the investor fundamentals. I mean, one of the 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 key things about you know, any sort of commercial real estate business related is that you need to have that fundamental of population growth. Um <sighs> I would, I would, I, if you're, if you're in that position, I would make sure to get, you know, um, you know, in touch with a qualified broker to have them help you think through of like straight up sale, maybe like a lease to own or seller financing option, um, you know, uh, and, you know, just know, I would imagine if your population's declining, the net, net operating, excuse me, the net operating income on that property will now start declining, which means the value will start declining. And so um, making an exit sooner rather than later is probably in your best interest. 
Yeah, no, that's that's some great advice. And, and, and you know, this is something that we deal with a lot. I'm in the brokerage side here in Louisville, and there's certain times where you're work, working with a client who their asset or their property is in an area that maybe is deteriorating or the property's condition is, is has just not been up to what it needs to be. And, you know, you kind of have to say, look, if you want to sell this in this timeline and you want to maximize what you can get for it, you need to kind of be realistic about, you know, what, what your current situation is. And, and it may very well be better to sell and then reallocate those funds in something else that could perform at a, at a higher level. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, was- I think there's one other opportunity here is like, could it be repurposed into a higher and better use? The concerning thing there for me is the declining population. That's going to impact any sort of bus- any business. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, Ron said definitely a factor. I thought demand was more from household movement, regardless of move in versus move out. Mm. You know, there's a report, U-Haul puts out a report every year to let you know where populations are moving to. So that's a very, a very interesting report. I know a lot of operators actually follow that report. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I went to, I went to school in, in Arizona and Phoenix. And, you know, that's one of the faster growing places in, in the country. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've followed some of the trends over there. And, and I've been back since I left in 2014. And it's just night and day. It's, it's unbelievable what can happen when there's an influx of people that come in that, you know, demand when, different properties. When so- Southern California exit LA. <laughs> well, I, I, I was reading, it was a while back. I think it may have been during the pandemic where it was like mm-hmm. U-Hauls go- leaving California were like four times more expensive than those going to it or something like mm-hmm. that at the time. So it's unfortunate, but, you know, it's, it was a reality. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, all right. So it looks like we are done with the questions. That's awesome. Well, Whitney, we, we greatly appreciate your time. I, I had, I had a great, I, I learned a lot from our discussion, so I'd greatly appreciate uh, you sharing your insights with, with the podcast today. You know, if people wanted to learn more about what you do, maybe get in contact with you or, you know, just, just be able to have a conversation. What, what's the best way to be able to do that? Yeah, I'll give you two ways. Uh, you can email me directly at Whitney at passiveinvesting.com. Um, if you're a passive investor, I encourage you to go to uh, passiveinvestingwithwhitney.com. Um, there's a quick little form there you can fill out on. You get access to my calendar and we can hop on a call and just I love talking all things real estate and we can figure out what is the best option for you. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I'm sure if people were wanting to talk to you about obviously the different types of properties and maybe getting not, getting an idea of, of, you know, what they're, you know, kind of helping walking through the their investor profile. I'm sure that would be something you could help them with as well. Yeah, I love talking to investors about their goals and their mm-hmm. business risk. I mean, that's really where I start the conversation. You know, even, you know, seasoned investors, just double checking that alignment um, and then, you know, offering up what opportunities that could be a good fit for their portfolio. That's awesome. Great advice. And, and we'll go ahead and include all that information below as well. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, feel free to go in the description. It will be available shortly. And then if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, whether Spotify, you know, Apple Podcasts, whatever, uh, feel free to go in the description as well. And then don't forget to give us a like, a subscribe. You know, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, if you guys are listening to this on, in an Apple Podcast format or Spotify, feel free to leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Again, thank you all so much for watching, and we'll see you all next time.